is most of Musa episode number 12 today in the studio I have my friend Marcus with me Marcus welcome to the podcast <laughs> thank you Musa thank you actually it's my first ever podcast <laughs> <laughs> well this is my 12th ever podcast it's <laughs> <Yeah, that's> great <laughs> so you were talking about writing your dissertation on a really interesting topic how temperature affects turtles uh, development yeah so like walk me through how did you go to Costa Rica to research this Uh I went to Costa Rica two a year and a half ago. Uh I started working at the conservation organization uh there in Costa Rica in one of the like southern regions of of the country. It's like a really vast uh rainforest. And there is like a conservation organization there that works in a variety of projects and one of them is sea turtle conservation. And I just started as a sea turtle research assistant there. Mm-hmm. Uh this was part of like my university degree, kind of like a year long work experience uh to gain like valuable like working experience working in research. Kind of the things that I want to do um in a way part of my degree. Um So yeah, part of like that work was uh my dissertation, mm-hmm. so my my research uh for for my thesis work and I decided to just work on like just uh cuz they have like a hatchery. Okay. Uh so they, that's where you bring like the eggs uh when you're in the in the in the field. So you, it's a artificial hatchery. Yeah, it's okay. like an artificial. So part of the goal of the sea turtle conservation is bring nests that are at risk of like um dying from 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 the tide or or from predation and then we bring those eggs we like take them out from the from the from the nest that that the mother made and we take those eggs into the hatchery and we incubate them uh, artificially in a way mm-hmm. uh we build a nest like a mother would do mm-hmm. and we put in the net the eggs and and wait until they hatch um so part of my research was actually putting like a like a temperature logger within the nest like in the middle of the nest uh to record the temperature and because it was a sun and shade difference between the in the hatchery mm-hmm. normally they have like sun uh sun treatment and shade treatment mm-hmm. um then the temperatures would be different so i would like measure what's the difference of the of the turtles after they hatch from those different incubation temperatures so yeah it's like um it's very biological work like and you have to do a lot of like statistics and coding for it um which is not that fun yeah, 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 <laughs> the field work part was really fun like actually being in the beach like every morning and relocating eggs from from the beach into the hatchery it was tough work it was like a lot of like hours in the sun walking a lot we had a lot of volunteers as well who would help us and kind of like do all of the field work and that was really 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 fun and uh yeah i spent there like six months take all of those six months i spent doing this research as well and now i'm getting like the results back so don't the turtles that have to when they hatch there's no period that they have to live with their mother or their parents or do they just go on by their own no they just go on by their own they're um solitary creatures in a way mm-hmm. like they the mother just li- lays the eggs and normally the mother always comes back around to the same beach to lay almost every two years or every year lays their eggs and just leaves and the the turtles just Aww. like the 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 eggs just incubate uh and when they're ready to hatch 
they hatch all together. They have like this temperature, kind of like critical temperature at which uh, they reach. They all of them hatch at the same time, and they all all of them like brothers and sisters. They crawl up together. Like mm-hmm. once they make it out of the nest, they kind of like look around, just like go on circles, and then kind of like they um, geo like geotag their location uh-huh. in a way, and they start crawling back to the ocean. And this geotagging um, that they do is kind of like a way to come back into the into the same beach which the mother laid. So when they when they actually grow uh, to become like big uh-huh. turtles, so uh, they come back to hatch, they come back to, to lay eggs in the to same. lay eggs. Ah, that's amazing. To lay eggs, or if they're males, they yeah. they um they they they. Um, nest kind of like in the same areas where where the mother laid their eggs as well. How it's, big do these turtles get? They can grow up like fifty kilograms. Wow, fifty kilograms. Yeah, they're pretty. Uh, at least with the ones we worked with, Olive Ridley's, and they're the smaller ones. Like the the greens, they can uh, weigh up to, up to hundred kilograms, and it's called the the imprinting phenomenon, when they're able to like imprint themselves into the beach where they hatched and go into the sea, live a very solitary life, and then just come back um, and lay, lay their eggs again. So it becomes a, like a cycle of life. What's the life expectancy or the survival rate of these? The life expectancy, they can, I think they can live up to like 50, 60 years. I think it was like that. But the survival rate is very low. Uh, so only one one in a thousand. Oh wow! One in a thousand turtles. What's the reason behind this? Mostly, or? mostly anthropogenic. Uh, mostly humans, uh, who are causing the like the very low survival rate of of turtles in the wild. People um, who drink with plastic straws. <laughs> people who drink from plastic straws, you know, like the garbage. Uh, no, but like, it, it's it's very high because um, around the world. There is uh, the of of course there's pollution, but a lot of like um, this the development around hotels and the hotel industry, the tourism that put their like like hotels around the beaches and and around the nesting um, areas. It's really it's really damaging, and then you have all of the bycatch from the from the ships. You know, like huge 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 nets just grabbing everything they can and a lot of it is is sea turtles uh so so in reality this the survival rate of turtles is really low and the conservation status of most of them is critical like they're actually at the risk of like extinction so it's uh it's really sad (laughs) for me to talk about it really is the government of Costa Rica doing anything or is it mostly private <coughs> institutions and organizations? A lot of like the work around sea turtle conservation is very like independent. Like a lot of it is done from sea turtle hatcheries. A lot of it is done by yeah, independent projects as well. Um there is in Costa Rica at least there is bans for um for trading for um like poaching yeah for like poaching Mm -hmm. but not in every single country is the same but a lot of like the like it's called the iucn which is the government uh regulation like internationally regulate the the bans on on sea turtle poaching and they're they're in there you know like they're protected by law 
Um, it's just the enforcement. The enforcement around countries is not always the same. And these are like, or the, the sea turtles, for example, the sea turtle eggs, they're also uh, eaten by, by humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of like uh, communities, also indigenous communities who, who eat uh, sea turtle eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them are sold in like, like black markets or just mm-hmm. markets around. So you can like actually make a hundred dollars out of like a whole like nest, oh, like wow. a sea turtle nest. Mm-hmm. Of like, course, that's that's illegal, but mm. yeah, there are people who make a living out of it. Is it just the market is only locally, or is it do they get exported out as well? A lot of it is local, um, at least the 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 market for for eggs. But there is a big market for the fins, like for the skin, uh, for making sea turtle soup, and that is also made like internationally. There is a big market for that. Same as sharks. Uh, sharks are like cut open and like taken out of just for their fins and they, those fins are transported all the way to China mm-hmm. for making uh, fin soup. I've seen um, some weird videos when they just take off the fin and leave the shark in the water. Yeah. It just goes down and dies slowly. That's like horrible. Yeah, yeah. I've had some like experiences of that where in, in Mexico where I'm from in Oaxaca, um, which is a, a beach that I used to go to all the like every single year uh, since I was a kid. And next to my hotel, there would be like come boats uh, from like fishermen every morning and just take out like all the sharks, you know, sharks that they had captured like the on the morning on that morning, and just take like the fins out of out of them. And you would just see them because they were right in front of the hotel, and you were thinking, wait. I'm like just like sitting here having my vacation, my holiday, and I'm just seeing like fishermen actually yeah. cutting like the fins out of like the sharks, uh, and you're like, wait, what? You know, and those those are like kind of like the reasons why I started studying like conservation and like environmental science. It's uh, seeing those kind of like those images mm. talking in my head, you know. Um, I wonder if the soup is actually good or if it's just like yeah. an exquisite exotic thing to have. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I think the fish soup or the, the fin soup, I think it's medicinal as well. They think it's medicinal yeah. or they, they believe it's medicinal. For example, like the sea turtle eggs, they think it's aphrodisiac. So mm. it, there's this culture that um, if you eat um sea turtle eggs is gonna enhance your sexual activity mm. you know um, which of course is a is a myth you know but it's 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 something that has stuck with us for like yeah. generations in culture and that's a big thing in poaching like all these like medicines oh rhino horns mm-hmm. creorectal di- and dysfunction dysfunction and yeah like uh, snake oil or fins or whatever everything we are putting so much money just to cure like sexual uh, exactly. diseases <laughs> and it's crazy because it's actually what caused the pandemic <laughs> and you're thinking about it all of this that, that is supposed to be like uh, medicinal is actually causing a global mm-hmm. pandemic like the pangolins you know yeah, yeah, like yeah. They think, it, or they, there is scientific evidence that uh, the pandemic started either around uh, pangolins mm-hmm. or bats. Yeah, yeah. And it's actually our own kind of like going there and mm-hmm. taking nature from nature and then just like thinking, oh, this is good for us, you know, mm-hmm. like 
it's it's it can be medicinal or whatever, but it actually it's causing like more pain than it's than it's doing than than it's supposed to like help us, you know. Yeah. Um, There's also so, yeah. this interesting aspect of the indigenous people using the eggs mm-hmm. because they like they're used to living off the land, and then you want to preserve their culture as well. You don't want to uh, whitewash or whatever the word is to that culture. So. Is there any work being done to like educate them on this as well? Well, indigenous peoples have been like living of of nature for like centuries mm-hmm. and for for thousands of years. Indigenous peoples don't have the fault for our like ecological demise. And if anything, they've been trying to live off nature peacefully and like uh, living off their own resources uh, for most of like their history you know mm. it is actually the system uh like the capitalist system the 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 system that pushes us and pushes them as well to live from the illegal trading you know to live off um for example forest um illegal logging uh, around indigenous peoples or or taking those like ancestral like um lands, like yeah. lands or or the the knowledges and just like import exporting them, um, and also like the, the 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 animals, you know, like these these are animals that have been living there and coexisting with like indigenous peoples for for a long long time, and um, it is not in their choosing to to break those laws. It's kind of like they're forced to them because of the of the systems that that work around them because they're not they're not able to live of their of their land anymore. Because the the system doesn't allow them to. I mean, back in the day, like humans were part of nature, and we lived in kind of this balanced harmony. Like we would take from them, the nature would take from us, and we kind of like lived off the land. And there was like this harmony with Mother Nature. But then suddenly, like because of human development, we've had such a in the hierarchy. We are like so many levels above. Like we can have such a big impact on mother nature and then we've come uh, instead of being part of it we've kind of separated it in a way yeah i think i mean there's still like indigenous peoples yeah. living off like and sustainably living in the rainforests without anyone's help you know because they've been living there for for so long it is only like in like the civilization kind of like that we've created uh that we have actually separated from uh, what nature gives us and what what we like plan as as human beings to to extract from it. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 it has created that great divide between humans and nature. When in reality, it's always been like one. And it's 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 difficult to take when you're like in the rainforest and working there. And it is it is a very like difficult environment to work in. Like it's very isolated. It's very like really working on the really tough conditions, um, like, and I I I am almost amazed because I I've met people in in the in the rainforest which know it so well, and kind of like even walk with barefoot around the rainforest, mm. and then you're thinking, wow, you know how like mm. I wouldn't be able to do that, mm. you know, and it's it's in that amazement that keeps keeps me wondering how how do people do this like how how do you coexist and how do you like 
how do you how can you transport yourself into this into this world and understand it better and kind of like protect it in a way because it, it's it's from them that we can like actually learn how to like coexist with nature compared to their immune system ours is like a little <laughs> yeah. bitch like. yeah exactly it's <laughs> like these people have been like living here for so long and even the response to the pandemic like right now i'm working with indigenous communities in in one of my projects and and i i've been talking to them about the pandemic you when you listen to them and just realize the level of like responsibility also like the level of action that they've taken to protect their communities because they they first of all they they know uh, they know how to close like their communities they're used to being and living in very remote areas mm -hmm. so when the pandemic hit it was natural to them oh let's let's close down mm -hmm. because they they knew that something was wrong and something it was was going to happen uh, so the natural thing for them was to actually yeah let's close down but instead of like staying home uh staying because they cannot afford home to stay home and and live of like nothing like mm -hmm. we do at, in our like daily lives you just know? order uber and then, yeah exactly yeah. they they have to like go out and work you know they they cannot stop living uh just because the pandemic happened so the, that kind of res resilience of like being able to okay yeah we're gonna close down our territories but we, we still need to like go out work the fields um continue working with uh, our like ancestral knowledge and, and our ancestral ways of living and, and try to survive you know the crisis and it has increased in a way resilience uh, within the communities um, in which they uh, at least in the, in the indigenous communities that I'm working with they have realized that they weren't completely sustainable they they do live from like their own sources of, of food They're, they live um, from their own resources they have a forestry system which they work um, alongside to to live but really they still depend a lot in like the economic system that surrounds them for example now they realized oh we can at least one of the responses was like um, we can um, use ancestral medicine to treat COVID-19 oh really so yeah medicines from nature uh, medicines that they they've had for for a really long time and now they're actually realizing oh wait we can treat COVID-19 with with our own like medicines from from nature and and our own ways of like of creating solutions you know um so they have been using like um syrups and medicines um that they've they've t extracted from 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 nature to to treat COVID-19 mostly with honey and different different honeys and different like plants, uh, plants yeah that they use and another way is like they've realized that um they depended a lot from agriculture from the outside so when they close their territories they had to think wait if we close our territories we don't have food security so actually they have tried to implement like new methods of like agriculture and trying to like survive the crisis from their like own territories instead of like having to risk themselves getting people in uh, bringing the disease and instead of that like living off their own territories but of course like it's really difficult and they've had like death in like in like their territories because of covid-19 and if 
if we think about it like that, like there has been no very reaction or help from like governments to to protect indigenous communities. Like they're the the ones that are gonna get the least uh, help or the the last time of the the vaccines. You know, they're the ones who who are not gonna get the vaccines until until I don't know when, you know. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that. Like, if they're living in the forest or the woods or whatever, far from civilization, first of all, the news, any kind of news is going to hit them very late. If this virus is spreading, how it is, mm. and, like, we living here, we know to wear masks or social distance or all that kind of stuff. We're, like, hospital is, like, five minutes away. Yeah. While for them, they're very disconnected to everything. Yeah. Even yeah, it's it's just crazy. There, like for us, it's it's easy to communicate with them because we've been working uh, with them for like a few years. Like my the organization I'm working with, uh, have been working uh, there for a few years, so we have a close contact with them. But yeah, they don't have like a big hospital to treat mm -hmm. their people there. You know, uh, it's all it's all like I said ha has had to be like from their own. Um, solutions kind of like organically and of course it's not good I mean yeah you can say um, that they've been using like ancestral medicine but in reality they've been suffering quite a lot from from the disease and from the uncertainty of of like losing their old eldest and because in indigenous communities also like the elder people are the most kind of like the heads yeah. of the communities. They they have the one. They're the ones that have like the the most knowledge, and they're very respected. So kind of like being afraid of losing that is it's is the worst for for indigenous communities. So apart from like dealing with the with the disease, is there like a, a fear of losing their culture? Like are people from like young people from indigenous communities going to the cities and adopting more of that culture? Yeah, yeah. So actually, uh, my project involves working with the youth from the communities. So I'm working um, as part of a National Geographic uh, Young Explorers Grant, and uh, part of this is to empower like young um, people to to kind of like change, make a change within their communities, and and have a, a different um, kind of like options to to work uh, within their communities and like essentially change you know change change the world within within their communities and within their world within themselves and part of the work that i'm working with youth is that a lot of them in the indigenous communities have been going to like the cities uh to get stability to uh, find jobs to kind of like um integrate into this capitalistic system of like production and kind of like um, living in in from the promises of a Western world, you know, which is really difficult for for people there uh, to do to integrate to to find stability, and the the indigenous communities, the elders are really worried that uh, a lot of the youth are not gonna find the stability, the the future that they wanna that they wanna have. So part of of the work that I'm doing is that we want youth to reconnect with their with their forestry uh with their ancestral knowledge with their territory with their forest home in a way so they're able to like in a way find out what the precious system that 
the indigenous peoples have been working for so long and in a way find sustainability by increasing like youth participation in this uh, in this system. So in a way finding like yeah finding like stability. the balance between uh, living an urban life plus being connected with their ancestry. Yeah, in a way like we want to we want to inspire youth to to really get involved in their communities and f- finally but for like find value uh within these communities. So like our project involves like a participatory photography uh, project in which young people are able to like use photography to document their lives, uh, their their activities within their communities, and find connections uh, between themselves and like the these ancestral practices, the people in the systems, like their elders, the stories the elders hear, uh, the the stories the elders tell, sorry. Um, and from this kind of like connection that they do through photography, um, they're able to like critically kind of like re- uh, do a retrospection of themselves in, and their place in this in these communities and hopefully find kind of like, yeah, value in it. Value in like the stories, value in, in the knowledge that the elders have and value in... in in culture in a way culture that is at risk of like getting lost Um, it's also a good way to like um preserving knowledge yeah is there like uh any work being done for preserving like their knowledge and like uh how they how do they live or like uh their stories i guess they have probably like elders have some really interesting stories from the past about their religion ideology spirituality that kind of stuff like their whole way of life is there like someone writing a book are there like uh data packs or books written about them is there any way to preserve all their knowledge um yeah so like i'm I'm working with a with an ngo called indigenous sustainable development and indigenous uh, this ngo that i'm working with have been working uh with this community which are the moncosh indigenous nation in in lomerio in bolivia and they've been working with them for quite a long time, probably two, three, uh, two, three years. And in part of this work has been a lot of like participatory video making, participatory storytelling. Um, they wrote a book about their own histories um, from within the community. So the elders kind of like did this video about retelling their history um, and their path to their own freedom and their own like um, um, indigenous autonomy, and this, and then they wrote a book uh, to tell to retell this 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 history, because a lot of the indigenous communities and the indigenous knowledges and the 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 people within these communities have never been able to like tell their own history. Because it's always been told by someone else, yeah. by other actors on them, you know? Like, it's always, like, the national history that is that matters the most. But in reality, like, the indigenous peoples and the indigenous nations have different histories that have never been told, and and they never get the opportunity to do so, no? So, yeah, this and the Indies and the NGO that I'm working with have been kind of, like, reworking their history, helping them to rework their history, rewrite it, through the diverse methods. Mm-hmm. So they did like a participatory video, 
the participatory um, history book. And they're really proud of this book. Like they always bring it to the different meetings that they have uh, and give it around because it's it's a it's a thing to be proud of, like their own history, their own their own path to to their reconnection with their land and, and their their path to, to sustainability in a way, which they're working for. So yeah, it's it's really interesting to work with them. Um, you you learn something new every day. Um, yeah, most of the time, the stories we hear about uh, about indigenous people are from like people like uh, colonizers or like people who are who have destroyed their their culture or affected their culture badly. It's rare that we're getting the history from the source for from themselves. Yeah. And I think part of the my work with them as well is that actually these stories that come out with photography and voice are from the youth from the from the youth from the community. That the they have an outlet of of like yeah, of expression in a way. It's really important that their voices are recognized and elevated. And it it is like really important that I, like me when I was like fourteen and was able to like pick up a camera mm-hmm. and just like start shooting and and become really good in in do in doing photography and kind of like was able to tell my story. Then I want that for them too, you know, because it's it's only fair because I had it. They should have it as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of like working with that. Um, notion that we need to actually be telling the stories from the source and that's why this kind of like project came came to be mm-hmm. as a like an inspiration of um of working with youth who who have been like doing photography from before but uh, actually them wanting to tell their own stories and getting better at what they do i listened to this podcast where this scientist was discussing how and there's some tribe in the Amazon and they're shamans, like they're doctors, like they have so much knowledge of treating diseases, like really bad diseases, just by using the land and the plants and everything that pharmaceutical companies are actually going to them, getting the solutions and making medicine for themselves and not giving them any credit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just crazy that I read um, an article when I was writing my grant for for Nagio, um, this was during what well, when was it? September, October last year, um, about how indigenous peoples in the Amazon were do- were using like um, ancestral medicine to treat COVID nineteen, and it makes me uh, <laughs> it makes me angry that actually the solutions that to solve like global pandemics and to stop them and from preventing them from happening are actually in the rainforests. Mm. Um, and pharmaceutical companies are, or industries in general are like extracting resources from these places without any respect for tribal knowledge or or indigenous nations or territories uh, living from these lands and then just using them for their own like good uh, yeah. for and then and then they're seeing like this destruction of the Amazon for example uh, and the destruction of the forests from around the world and they 
they say, oh, yeah, we're doing something good by creating or uh, a fund or whatever. But in reality, their own like actions mm -hmm. are contributing to it. And it, I've, I've read like conservation of nature cannot advance if we don't protect indigenous peoples. They protect like, I think it was 80% of like um, of, of, of biodiversity around the world. Conservation cannot advance without uh, indigenous rights in in the like in the in the forefront of conservation. Yeah, it's it. They have they're the ones who are like have been co coexisting with nature and and doing all the like difficult work in like activism, uh, protection of their of their territories, getting in the front line of like of actual like death before uh, the, their territories and and doing the, the difficult work that we actively like pursue to to protect nature and yeah it's 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 horrorizing when you start like reading a lot of like the deaths around like activists in mexico for example like it's one of the most difficult questions like, um, countries to live in if you're activists protecting nature so many disappearances so many like uh, deaths because of protecting nature, what That's they care crazy. about, their territories, yeah. yeah. Um, it's really difficult. But, like, what we can do is, like, support them. Because we mm. know that, we know that uh, there is communities and there is, like, there is solutions out there. Like, there are indigenous communities trying to become and integrate different knowledges, not just their own, but for example, the Monkosh, who I work, who I'm working with, the Monkosh have been like in the fight for their territorial autonomy for maybe 20 years, and they've been like taking knowledges from different organizations, uh, different universities, um, using like activism, using um, policymaking, working with a different different actors to create their own territory, to support that territory, to create a sustainable um, management of their forestry system, become accredited internationally of their own like forestry system, and now living off that hard work that they've been yeah. doing now. But it's really difficult to do that if the the system around them, like the economic system, the the laws, the people, the the public, do not recognize them as an alternative solution or as an additive solution to, yeah, even capitalism. You know, like we can live with our own lives, but we need to recognize the 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 different systems that that exist mm -hmm. and kind of like support those because yeah. otherwise they're never gonna survive. Um, if you wanna like grow a garden you take advice or you take work from the gardener and like getting help from the indigenous in the conservation of nature like makes the the most sense like they've been doing it for years and they figure it out why not just go and ask yeah, them why exactly. not yeah get the help it's it's crazy it's just it's it's insane how much knowledge there is and even western science you know they have never recognized it's really difficult to to get uh, tribal knowledge to get recognized uh, in the in the scientific place and also like a lot of the science that is done in these communities is is done without uh, 
paying any respect to to their knowledges and stuff mm -hmm. like they've it's been very extracting mm -hmm. uh, of their culture and of their knowledges and it's really difficult to get to work with indigenous peoples because they don't trust mm -hmm. uh, westerners anymore and that's why i think the the work has to be a change it, we need to be changing the methodologies of how we like interact with indigenous peoples and how we uh, do research around them it has to come from them it, we need to support them to be doing science community science um alternative ways of method of 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 methodologies around around research um such as participatory work um where they they are the ones learning how to do these things and support them into like continuation of of taking stories taking the knowledge and elevating it and kind of like learning the process with them not not just at the expense of them you know yeah 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 i don't blame them if they don't trust outside yeah. people from outside <laughs> did you hear about the news about this um this small tribe in the south india where a pastor or priest missionary went them yeah. and they killed him that was actually because in the mid 1900s this missionary like a group of missionaries went to that island and they accepted them and then because of those missionaries they got some very bad disease like outside and a bunch of those tribe people got killed so that's why they don't, they don't trust anyone <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> It's like when the when the Spanish came to to mm -hmm. Latin America, and most of the deaths just happened because of disease. You know, it's like happening now with the pandemic. It's like we're dying because we're extracting nature, and mm -hmm. and the disease is just like going on to us. It's yeah, people think we human beings are destroying the nature. That's not true. In the long term, human beings won't survive, yeah. and nature will take over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nature is very resilient. You know, mm -hmm. like. It's gonna find a way to to live after mm. us. Like we we're just another species. It's like the dinosaurs or whatever. Yeah. You know, like we're gonna disappear, but nature is gonna be there. Mm. Uh, and that's the that's the. It's it's amazing when you work in, in like ecology and stuff. Like when you're learning, um, about all of these processes, and you're thinking, man, this is just crazy. Like mm. this is like alien work. You know, but. Yeah, the alien work is going to survive. And then maybe a million years, we're going to have another civilization. Look at us and be like, oh, this this stupid people from top, you know? <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's going to be, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to, to know. Yeah, like if you look at the earth as like a single organism and we are part of it, like a body, and then human beings, humankind used to be a part of the body and it was functioning functioning well but you know how a body has an autoimmune system it's like a disease where i don't know the specific word for it but then the white blood cells the body starts rejecting a part of like an organ or something mm -hmm. so the white blood cells actually start attacking its own body to protect itself from itself yeah so human beings are kind of become part of it that we are part of this body of earth and then now we have destroyed it so much that the earth have decided we're a virus now and using nature to like get yeah. rid of us. I mean, it's crazy. It's just like, it's, it sounds very hippie, but we're connected yeah. to the earth. You know, we are, we are one part of like 
this evolutive process that has happening for millions of years. Our hands mm. are just part of that, you know? And everything around nature is connected. That's why if you mess up one system around uh, a loop in, in, in the climate system, everything just becomes crazy, you know? Mm. Like, it, it's, it's all part of a bigger loop. And it just works together in 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 in, in circles in a way. Mm. And once you start like messing up one, the other one just uh, messes up the entire system. And it's it's that's why climate change is so damaging, mm. because once you like increase temperatures and and uh, the 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 ocean circulation starts messing up or the the atmosphere's circulation starts messing up, then the two don't work together anymore, and then it becomes chaos in a way. Um, and then it, it's just like once affected one affects the other and the other one res responds back and keeps keeps in an eternal loop of like this control so yeah we are we're connected to to nature as much as like nature influences us and if we're like damaging it so much it's just gonna fight back it's gonna <laughs> yeah, it's gonna shoot us in the foot, you know, mm. and it's already doing that. It's it's like human beings destroying nature. It's like it's a weird analogy, but it's like a person smoke smoking. Like you know, it's damaging your lungs. You might die of cancer, but you yeah. still keep doing it. Yeah, but you still keep doing it, and it's this system that that keeps pushing us. You know, like <laughs> there there was this uh, this meme the other day. Oh, with the. Um, with the ship that got stuck oh, in yeah, the canal, the right? The Suez Canal, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's uh, like the um, the machine trying to stop it, mm -hmm. and it says our individual actions, and then the the whole okay. like uh, capitalism uh, capitalism <laughs> systems, yeah. and it's like yeah, yeah, you can like change your whole like individual actions. You can become vegan or whatever. You can like stop buying so much shit. But at the end of the day. If the capitalist system that is like breaking nature doesn't change with you or you don't try to change it, it's never going to it's never going to work. Like it's going to keep on messing up constantly because it's like a burning uh, cigarette. It's just going to keep burning until we stop the fire, mm -hmm. like stop actual fire. You know, that's what uh, Greta Thunberg said, you know, mm -hmm. like this house is in freaking fire. Yeah, yeah. You know, we need to stop it. But. It's not until like we're able to change industries, become green in a way like our economic system needs to change for for like the systems to to really, really, really make a difference. Oh. Uh, do you know about Bill Burr? Bill comedian? Burr. No. Okay, no, he's like my favorite comedian. And he has this funny joke that if you want to solve this climate and all the shit that the oil companies are doing, let them buy the sun. So let's just assume that they own the sun now. So when uh, instead of using oil, they start using solar power now. And so just as we pay money for like gas or whatever, we start paying money for their solar panels, just as it's the same thing. So they keep the money that they were getting the same with oil, but now they're using a better, better method. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Like, it's crazy how they're still, like, investing on oil, you know? Mm. Um, These big corporations. And when, when when you know that oil is dead, you know, 
why keep investing in it? Why keep like trying to 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 do the damaging things to everyone, you know? But there is big money of on oil. Uh, just as there is big money on like mm. on renewables as well. Maybe that's the reason aliens don't visit us. There's like, yeah. like look <laughs> really at these like people, <laughs> stupid people destroying the only planet they live on. The definition of madness, you know, yeah. keep doing the same things all over and over again <laughs> until like you destroy yourself. Mm. But yeah, that's why I think I think that's why um, we need like more like younger people like making a difference. I think we're at least i think it's so tiring to just see like wild white middle-aged men trying to like influence politics when you realize that it's just it's the same shit all all the yeah. time you know we need like we need a we need a diverse system where like all the voices are taken into account mm. and part of it is like increasing youth participation in in the solutions and at least like having um more like youth inclusive like solutions the democracy of the system or in that respect can help a lot like i mean you see the youth the youth climate action mm. in the last 2 3 years has been so big because they are actually the ones that care and are able to make a difference uh in the planet you can talk about all these like like policy actions that can be done, but if there is like no backup from like the general public, then they're not never gonna be moved. And the only ones that are actually making a difference are the young people. Mm. So actually increasing youth participation, even in indigenous communities, like in in communities that are segregated, like in communities that don't really have the chance, we need to be increasing their participation in their own systems forming sustainable like um ways of living in those kind of like different systems and in that way we are able to like continue project building and continue creating like different alternative systems to the ones we are living like damaging uh ourselves with um so we're actually like in a way creating more sustainable ways of living by increasing youth participation. Yeah, I agree that it's not an individualistic thing. It's like you have to get up, get the whole community mm -hmm. to back it. Politicians, the only thing they fear are like mass of people protesting against them and striking against them. That's the only thing that like changes policy nowadays. If you don't like the only thing that makes change is going on a big strike and maybe stopping the businesses, stopping the money flow. And then they realize, oh, shit, no, we need, we need to listen to them. We're losing money. We're losing the popular vote. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's it's the climate movement and the, like this whole like activism is as much for like for racial justice, you know, like we cannot have a more sustainable uh, way of living and more like rightful like conservation movement without uh indigenous black um and like having them guide the solutions in a way like we need the participation of 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 them and the rights of them to be like like respected and having a place in like the government um because without without that 
it's never gonna work um, because they're they they are they represent the the most vulnerable uh, people from around the world. The capitalism is has been designed in a way that we are stuck in this loop that bad things are cheaper and then good things are easier. So it's not just like if an individual who doesn't have a lot of income, he would be more incentivized to like buy cheap McDonald's rather than buy like an expensive yeah. ecological stuff or whatever. Yeah. And I, yeah, there is like this in Mexico, for example, like there's always this saying that, oh, if you're you're poor and and you're choosing to 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 kill yourself of obesity by buying coke mm. and it's like no <laughs> you know the industry is like making coke like accessible to us the industry has been like kind of almost like brainwashing the communities to drink coke by making it addictive you know accessible and a good price and with this like commercials in the in the in the in the television it's like mm -hmm. no people are not self-destroying themselves because they want to mm -hmm. like it's it's the industry yeah. it's, the, it's the capitalism like the the system that that makes them plus um, also like in sweden like we're so privileged that drinking water is free but like in countries like soda cans are cheaper than water yeah. bottle yeah 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 it, and in communities in, in Mexico, for example, like a lot of like the the water reserves are just taken for for the industries. I am right now doing like a small I'm trying to, I, I'm, I'm planning on like a, doing a photo project, hopefully in the near future, if I can like finance it and stuff. Um, I'm investigating how like indigenous communities in 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 Huchitan in in Oaxaca mm. have been affected by like environmental change around their communities and seeing how because of the industries that have been like in there in that region strategically because it's a it's a geopolitical um, region of importance because it's it's kind of like a bridge between the Pacific Ocean to to the Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. um, and there is a uh, oil quarters there as well, oil production, um, and also it's a very flat area. So a lot of windmills have been like used now nowadays, taking over the land. And the the indigenous communities they've always been like at the friction of this. Um, is it their land? It's or I is mean it just like the land that impacts their life. Yeah, it's it's been their land for for hundreds of years, mm -hmm. but a lot of like the. Of course, when colonization happened, like they took over the land, and there's always been this conflict of like returning the back, back the land back to the indigenous peoples and landowners buying off that and owning like a portion of like a big portions of land and selling it off to like companies and and the industry. And part of this is that the oil industry have been draining like rivers for for oil production. Um, and then the wind, who is a big resource now, has been like um, a target by uh, windmill corporations and and this new wave of green energy actually taking over lands of indigenous peoples in very cheap contracts, very like badly made uh, contracts um, for people where they get like nothing for their lands and then they they stay there for tw for over twenty years without 
at like giving back to 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 the people that live that the local communities that they've been living there and this is like this used to be like my my grandfather's and my my family's um place of birth so they actually had to move away from there partly because they couldn't find any like food security the, the land was getting degraded um it, it, they had to move in, in a period of time in the 80s when a lot of like corruption was getting up criminal uh, activity was going up as well and the 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 fields were dying as well because of like there was no water mm-hmm. so actually like the environment was changing and my my family migrated from from Oaxaca from from Juchitan up to Mexico City and I wrote an essay about this for my university because um my grandfather left like poems in Zapotec in in the indigenous language uh, talking exactly about this kind of like transformation of the environment and he's remember he's like remembering back to when he was like a kid to what it is now and what made him like kind of like move away from home um and part of it a big part of like their his writings is about the environment and how it changed and how like it impacted his life to the point that he saw like this degradation of like not just the environment but his communities into he called it he calls it biche which is like um soul taken by the devil and i think well in my interpretation is the soul is being taken by capitalism and the community is the soul so the soul is just dying it's it's very intense in a way and then from that he moves back to to mexico city with my family and in a way i wouldn't be born if like my grandfather wouldn't have moved me you know so it it changes the courses of history um you have a lot of like zapotec communities uh living in mexico city like people from oaxaca that had to move in that same period of time that live now in mexico city and mexico city grew around the 80s 90s so much because of this internal migration from like different states into into the city and, and the city became a conglomerate of different cultures yeah. so it's it's very interesting like mm-hmm. how history geography environmental sciences just interact mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. it's like a loop almost. is he still alive your grandfather no my grandfather passed away and the part of the why is it so important to me is that i never got to talk to him about this mm-hmm. kind of things so i only started like reading of from what he left behind in his writings um and then just doing research on my own and hopefully mm. one day i can i really want to go back to that huchitan to that place and see it in my own eyes and see maybe picture um myself of what what it is to be in that place in the moment and from the remembrance of like of his writings into like that mm-hmm. environment you know and kind of like contrasted you know do 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 a different like photo project out of it from the outside like building windmills or uh, what do you call it yeah the the, the, the wind power yeah wind uh, turbine like wind turbines, yeah, yeah yeah seems like okay we're going in the right direction but yeah. if you look at it in the microscope you realize what's the bad impacts of it it's the same thing that 
it's good that people start eating more veggies and plants and everything. But at the same time, you see like these big companies are removing natural forests to build these single crop like fields, which completely destroy the soil and the yeah. environment yeah. around it. It's it's and it's it's the same concept again. It's the climate justice, the racial justice, where we're like, yeah, providing a green energy solution to the national uh, energy. Uh, consumption where we are pr providing sustainable energy but at the extent of that of what or the context what is the context you know where is this energy and who is this energy production impacting and then you look at like yeah the the, the lands of the people who are being taken away and who are promised something money in a way mm -hmm. but for what you know like they don't get anything out of it mm -hmm. Um, they don't get their own energy paid even, you know, like they're just taking their lands, producing energy for the national economy. But for them, it's, it's, destroying, it's destroying entire communities and their lands, their their ways of living. A lot of it surrounds the, the living of agriculture in those lands. <laughs> and it, of course, it changes like the whole, it, do, it not only takes away their lands, but the industries pollute. The industries leave traces of like bad chemicals in the in the soil, and it becomes a destroying um, environment around there. You know, in that in that region for those communities, even though it's a green energy solution. Yeah. You know, and it's all about the the, inju the the injustices around, yeah, environment. And we need to question those kind of things. We need to actually say, yes, okay, yes, we can have like green energy solutions, but where are these coming from? Yeah, how are we getting them? Yeah, and who's benefiting from them? Because actually, a lot of those like green energy movements in Mexico, at least, they were financed by big corporations, dirty com mm -hmm. corporations. People who are benefiting from those are governments um, like corrupt. Um, co corrupt governments who are benefiting from those. They and just then, want to make money. What Whatever is popular, they're going to bank on it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's what happens in Latin America. Even if it's a green energy solution, the people who benefit from it are not local or are not like the people in, in general. Mm. It, it's it's big, big owners, big, yeah, the, the whole like... Um, big corporations. Big corporations and, yeah. and stuff. Mostly governments. I don't know about uh, indigenous, native, Central or South Americans, but in North America, uh, natives believe that they didn't believe in land ownership. They just believed, oh, we're just using this land. We don't own it. So it's kind of like a funny but sad story. At the same time, when the uh, white settlers came in, they made the deal that, okay, we're going to, the natives are going to give over this chunk of land. And in return, we'll give you like resources like food or whatever. Yeah. So the natives were like thinking, oh, these guys are stupid. They think they can own land. Yeah, we just give it, write it on a piece of paper. It doesn't really matter. But they didn't know that they were actually the white people yeah. are going to come in and then just take over and all that. Yeah, there is so many like, and that's a problem with like the meanings that we place around owning stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Because, uh, yeah, of course, when the when the Spanish came to Mexico and the the colonization, the whole colonization thing happened, 
like there was completely no notion of what was going on probably in like indigenous communities and and they just some of them kind of just like gave in you know like we we cannot do anything because we don't have these preconceptions of what money is what wealth is what what ownership is. what ownership mm -hmm. is and that's why it's so damaging to follow histories from the written like from the colonial writings because because uh, they don't take into account what the notions and what the knowledges are from from people. Mm. Uh, that's why we need to like. Yeah, they might write. Oh, we give the medicine. They give us land. It's a fair yeah. deal. <laughs> but to the people who have been impacted and been yeah. wrong, we rarely hear their side of the story. Yeah, it's really difficult to to know exactly how and why, um, and the indigenous like. How they they were affected directly is just beyond question. Like complete the like complete destroy like they they got destroyed completely. Yeah, it's a type of genocide you can yeah. say because your their culture, their people, their history is going extinct, and these like corporations or company, whoever they are, they are intentionally doing that just for making profit or owning yeah, exactly. land. Like there was no, like you, you you can think about indigenous peoples, but it's always it's it now it, nowadays it's it's a it's a mixing of things. It's a mixing of race. It's a mixing of culture, even in in those like in those communities because they've been impacted so much by the systems that we like put on them that it's it's never it's never back to how it was you know and it doesn't it doesn't have to be like that mm -hmm. but we need to recognize that a lot of like like the the impact and the damage that the, and the like trauma that we caused on like people mm -hmm. and actually begin healing be, for them to begin healing mm -hmm. we need to recognize that you know we need to recognize in our history books that we did mm -hmm. something bad and mm -hmm. something wrong and that it's 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 it cannot ever happen again no mm. there's also this term i can't remember it's like called historical ptsd or trauma mm. or something like that that people in newer generation still have trauma of what happened to their ancestors yeah it still impacts them it's yeah yeah it does it's psychologically mm. it, it does impact you like no, no, yeah psychologically also like in their physical lives as mm -hmm. well like their land got taken away and now the new generations are living in poverty or something like that yeah i mean, I mean it's and it's 500 years of the same thing you know it's been happening and it keeps happening uh for for the rest or most of their lives uh and it's very difficult to 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 live off that trauma and of that like of those same things happening over and over mm -hmm. again and then those countries or those people dare to say, oh, these are backward or these are developing yeah. countries or their refugees are banned or whatever like that. Like, you're the one who caused all this <laughs> in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that because we never take responsibility for our actions and take responsibility for the the pain and the the, the trauma that... that we've caused for people indirectly yeah. or directly and it becomes really like 
And even if you, like, as, as I said, like working with indigenous peoples can be really difficult because they, they don't trust people anymore. And a lot of it is their, their values and their like ways of living involve a lot of like trust, a lot of communication, a lot of like, yeah, having that um, trust and that like, how do you say like becoming a familiar face with them? Mm. Otherwise, they will never um, trust you fully. Um, to, see, to see them as an enemy, not as a friend. Yeah. And and knowing that you are gonna treat them the same way as any any other human being, because that's a lot of it. Because they've been treated and they keep they're treated as different people. Yeah. But in reality, they're just like human beings with their different kinds of knowledges, of course, yeah. different kinds of like experiences and notions of life and nature. Um, yes, but they're still in in deep down just human beings, and and that's how you need to approach this yeah because they do have different notions yeah yeah even if your intention is good they might think oh no he's gonna take all this knowledge away not mm -hmm. give us any credit we're not gonna get anything yeah, we're yeah. just being exploited yeah so that's why at least in my project is it's very important that i uh, and in in participatory photography and video making is that they are the ones who kind of like drive the processes and and you can be like a facilitator, you can be a, like a person of like knowledge around these technologies, these new like ways of like seeing the world through photography, for example. But in the, in the end, they have to like create their own perception of mm -hmm. what photography is, for example, or what um, it can be for them. You cannot force it upon yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It needs to be from them to, to, for, to them. Um, to decide to de to decide what it is yeah so for as long as i've known you you've always been into like nature uh, uh, conservation and then this type of stuff is it because of your heritage from your grandfather or is it something else when did you first got into this stuff <laughs> it's been a wild ride for me to be honest uh i don't know the first like actually the first time like i thought i would i wanted to do like environment conservation and like those kind of things actually it was from reading a book <laughs> very like dr like dramatic book about 2012 remember the the movie yeah no yes but there was this book about the imagine prophecies about the end of the world oh yeah yeah the mayan yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so i i read this book about that um, it was about a scientist who was doing this kind of like research in the ocean surface and kind of stuff and was like reading, I don't even remember, ast <laughs> astrology and stuff like that. <laughs> and then I, I kind of like got very impacted by that because I was like 10, 11, maybe 12, got really impacted by the fact that we were going to die in 2012 got traumated by it <laughs> uh, and i started like reading up about mayan culture and mayan like mayan understandings of like the universe and stuff and what the mayans were predicting and stuff and i went to chichen itza as well like to oh, wow. i went to like 
I went with my family there because I was like, really, I we need to go there. Mm -hmm. we, we need to go there before the world ends, you know. <laughs> and from that search about the world beginning to end, mm -hmm. uh, I came across climate change. I came across like mm -hmm. these theories about scientific um, nature and mm -hmm. and and this realization that the world was something else, you know, there was not just my life, it was mm -hmm. kind of like something, a bigger picture surrounding us. And that, yeah, it was gonna have like a... a Sounds like a, a plot of like Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. You read a book about the Mayans yeah, and then yeah, you exactly. go there to find the answers. <laughs> <laughs> That's why every time like people ask me, it's like, yeah, how did you get into this shit? Yeah, I was 12. <laughs> and I read a book about like Mayan prophecies. Um, but yeah, it was like the, the moment I thought... Um, I started like to just getting to like understanding of, of what's going on, you know, mm -hmm. and like my mother is Swedish. Um, so kind of like she gave us a lot of like interaction with nature when we were kids and, and stuff like that. And then a lot of like my relationships, then I was seeing like people throwing garbage in the, in the, in the ground and stuff like that. Like me getting really angry about it, um, and then from that a moment on, I started doing like most of my projects about nature, uh, most of them about conservation and and a lot of them, yeah, just involved that kind of like notion. Um, and then when I was in before high school, like in the IB, I took like biology, chemistry and environmental science, which is like madness for me. Yeah. I wanted to study biology. Yeah. So that that's mm -hmm. kind of like it just kept coming back you know mm. um now i see it in a very more holistic way um of like studying nature yes you can study like ecology you can study biology but you need to we need to take into account um exactly what we've been talking about like traditional knowledges and mm. human wildlife interactions and conservation from a human point of view because if we don't like fix our systems as well we cannot fix and we cannot help nature either mm. so it's been like it's been a crazy journey for me uh in conservation and and nature in a way if you could choose between working with animal converse, uh, conservation i always say conversation conversation yeah <laughs> conservation it's a good topic of conversation yeah. <laughs> Uh, between animal conservation or working with the indigenous people and conservation of the culture, wh which one would you pick? Obviously, they both are connected, but if you had yeah. to focus on one, yeah. I mean, you did both with the turtles and you're also working with yeah, the indigenous. I've, you got both experiences. I've done both. Like, I first started working with the turtle conservation and then moved into a wildlife, mm. wildlife monitoring program. Uh, also working with, like, camera traps and and kind of like putting camera traps to see what's what's out there, you know, kind of like that. And I love I love animals, you know. I I really like find them so fascinating. I've done work with bats before as well, um, and I I think I could do that, but um, I feel much more connected to the human side, and I think it's because of my history with mm. with me as moving from Mexico and leaving this kind of like human side to conservation mm -hmm. in which my family has migrated and my family has also been part of of that impact of mm -hmm. of our 
like destruction of 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 the environment into into my past into my history and i think a lot of like um conservation and and nature are tied to humans so we cannot we cannot go without them in a way the journey is, it has to be with them otherwise we're never going to have a journey anymore mm -hmm. so yeah i think i think i would choose uh, human conservation human wildlife conservation interactions yeah. and stuff where yeah we're working together not yeah. apart you kind of didn't answer the question you chose no. the middle road <laughs> no no it's just you can't you know yeah. it's it's enough like we need to be look there's so much science out there mm. like there's so much people doing research yeah, yeah, about yeah. wildlife so much about animals so much about crazy insects and stuff but we come to a point where all of the research uh, that we do about animals and stuff it, we need to have like what's what then you know yeah what what's now the point? what's the point mm. yeah it's like yeah you can have some friends in in the u.s who were like researching crabs in costa rica just to get to know the life history of crabs you know <laughs> how they grow how they travel between beaches and stuff and i was like how do you do this how do you spend 10 years of your life researching crabs it's just like <laughs> it's crazy you know like uh, there's this obsession about them because they're fascinating and they are they truly are but my fascination is is more towards kind of like solutions behind uh, nature conservation like finding those successful like ways of coexisting with nature and that's why i i cannot choose wildlife uh, just purely because of that was your grandfather alive when you were around did you have conversations with him or were you too young I remember him quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, he was like a big part of my childhood. I remember when he passed away and I remember a lot of like moments with him. Don't remember specific conversations per se. Mm -hmm. You were too young to understand that yeah. part of your history and yeah, all exactly. that. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I didn't understand it. And I remember him like writing for me in, in Zapotec and stuff. But yeah, I never got to talk to him in, in that way. But look, my grandfather was also very like a very difficult person person he was very stiff hmm. uh, very patriarchal as well he he was not exactly the the most um like most grandpas yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, he, the he elder of the he, house yeah and... he had a probably a difficult life a difficult childhood mm. uh he grew up i be, i like to think that he grew up in values that didn't represent him where he was never allowed to be himself and that's what and this is the kind of the trauma that you know indigenous peoples uh, they they were born there but they were never allowed to be in the truly indigenous truly truly themselves he was born in Huchitan, um probably to to mestizo parents which is like a mix between um european and and uh, indigenous peoples but being born in that territory and being born in that in that state at that time meant that he was not able to learn his language mm -hmm. um, or practice their own like ways of living around the uh, farming around their own like yeah around their like own practices you know mm -hmm. and he grew up around this strict system of like being integrated into society at a time when when everything was changing because of the revolution, his very historical um, time, um, and he was never allowed to be 
himself or people there weren't allowed to be themselves. So I think it was one of those traumas where he got like um, very tight, very like yeah. traditional values as well. Um, and he learned like he learned Zapotec when he was like in university. Oh, okay. So not exactly in his in his town in his when he was a, a boy. He learned it in, in university and then started writing in in um, in Zapotec. Do people still speak it? Are there like people communities yeah. that still do? Yeah, people speak it. And people people still have a lot of like their culture in in these places. Like women are the ones who like have taken like that mantle of conservation around their culture. Uh, so women are actually the ones that are leading around the the the, the communities. They're the ones who have taken like. Because men would go to, off to work or yeah, yeah. would be shipped or uh, or or moved to other mm -hmm. towns and stuff, while women stayed in the in the communities, actually managed economic systems and like having their own like systems of of trading and stuff. Mm -hmm. And those same very own very own same cultures have been progressed because of women taking taking the handle of the communities and on the culture and the preservation of the culture has been because of that. So the, the the culture very much exists and it's alive and my my mother has a lot of like the traditional cultural values around her and every time like for example we we go to her house you can see them you know you can feel that it's different mm -hmm. to other mm -hmm. other traditional uh, houses and stuff and it's from there it's it's from the from the source so you're starting this new project called GYS what does it mean and what's the goal with it uh, GYS is uh, stands for Global Youth Storytellers, and it's like a collaborative project uh, that we're starting with Adam, who's a you may, you you know Adam, yeah, yeah. yeah, Adam Beswick, and a few friends, photographer friends, who we're trying to like create a network of like young photographers and storytellers from like around the world, um, who are like eager to like tell their stories using photography. And to like kind of like break that very elitist handle of like being part of of uh, kind of like a collective and stuff. Mm -hmm. So anyone can be part of it. And anyone is part of this community of like um, people that can share around their art, their stories and um, hopefully receive like like uh, training and stuff um, into into producing photography and storytelling. Mm -hmm. So bringing different photographers uh, from around the world, I assume, mm -hmm. together. Yeah, yeah, mostly like we want to just tell different stories using photography uh, from different perspectives of young people from around the world. Mm. And it, it, it's part of my, it's part of the project that I'm doing with the indigenous communities in which like everybody can tell their own stories and bring, bring in the young people that I'm working with in, in, in Bolivia and having them be part of like this collaborative like effort of like bringing young people together into telling their own stories. Mm -hmm. um, so it's part of like, it's part of that uh, effort in a way. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, it's really hard to create, <laughs> well, partly because we're all in different time zones as well, mm -hmm. but like we're in a time where everybody's governed by so many like outside forces mm -hmm. uh, for example now I'm working a lot with my university like finish my dissertation uh, having having to do exactly 
what I'm like what what I what I've been given and what I need to accomplish for for my university. Hopefully, like once this like mess is done and like I can finally like focus on these projects that I've been like working on since I guess February around mm -hmm. and be able to put that one together with the the Bolivia project the, the project I'm working with indigenous communities in Bolivia and create this this network of storytellers. And which platform are you using? We're using a Discord platform. Discord is uh well a lot of people know Discord because it's like a gaming mm -hmm. platform where people like that that like gaming come in and like interact with each other. So in a way it's like different ways of informal communication uh for for people to meet from around the world into into a single place, you know. And we're hoping like to have we're hoping to have like a lot of people that doesn't necessarily need to do photography, but are like artists, um, storytellers and friends who just want to like, yeah, tell their own stories. And that would be really good. You can have like people encouraging each other and getting mm -hmm. inspiration from each other's work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's the main idea of it. It increases collaboration, no matter your background, no matter where you are from or where you are really, you can be part of it. <laughs> yeah, good luck on your dissertation. Oh, and good luck on this project. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough two three weeks, mm -hmm. uh, and then June hopefully I'll I'll be able to like finish university and get back to get back to it really. So it's kind of like on a pause right now while you focus on your completing your university. No, we're still we're still working on it. Mm -hmm. It's just a little bit slower right okay. now. Like we're still, uh, I'm still talking to my pe my contacts in in uh, Cuba, and uh, I'm working with that person in Cuba. And you sound like a drug cartel. I'm working <laughs> with my contacts in Cuba. <laughs> no, she's just uh, uh, um, Jennifer. She's also a part of like uh, my project in Bolivia. I should have mentioned actually uh, my project. Uh, the Nagio project that I'm working with for um, the communities in Bolivia involves like participatory training in storytelling and photography. And what I want to do is that people like the, the, the young people get to have training from different like storytellers, young people like doing the same kind of like work in photography and stuff. So Jennifer, who is from Cuba, uh, Sharon and Kevin from Peru are also part of like the teaching team in, in, in that project. Mm -hmm. So they get to give classes about storytelling, about photography in, in the modules for, for the young uh, people in, in, in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. And they actually get involved into like producing participatory photography in the co indigenous communities. And they are, hopefully they're all gonna be part of the same network mm -hmm. in Discord to create like that that connections, you know, those connections and continue those connections into the future. And that's really awesome. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing it grow and be part of it. Hopefully, yes, mm. uh, me too. Uh, thank you for coming to the podcast. <laughs> thank you, This Musa. has been really amazing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Peace be upon you all. Bye-bye. <laughs>